Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Well, just start us off right. Yeah. Guess, huh? <laughs> That's a good one. We finally got Jim back from Mardi Gras. So. He's still recovering. Still recovering. I was pretty tame for Mardi Gras. I'm old, man. But I did see all but 16 parishes of Louisiana when I was out there. Oh, I thought he was going to say tits. <laughs> that's what no, I you know, that's, <laughs> uh, You know, we, on the crew that, I'm on Crew Toth, and we, Crew Toth is like the, Stratofortress carpet bomber comp version of a Mardi Gras. We just throw. And you would think that if you were going to see you know, women just, bah, that would be it. No. Not one. Hmm. I didn't try to bribe anybody. Though I did have some college people. Oh, this is a hunting show, right? But So I found this little pink purse and I just stuffed it full of like knickknacks and koozies and little wallety thing and a couple beads i dangled that thing over the side of the float as we passed like these sorority girls holy crap (laughs) (laughs) and then i started doing the i can't see him doing the jump jump thing getting them all to jump up and down and i lobbed that person in there it imagine like Tasmanian devils. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see where one girl started and one girl ended. Just, there's, somebody had to go to the hospital after that. Just get a little pink purse. I've yeah. seen people at, at Mardi Gras just get straight, like, pummeled by stuff coming off floats. Yeah. Like, you fall and it's just all, all out, start throwing shit at the person that's on the ground. Yeah, you'll see that. There was a girl that stood up on a... We had some grandstands. They took a girl, pretty good looking girl. They had her, they actually stood her up on the edge of the grandstand at uh, at a prank for what they call druids. And actually, druids, a lot of guys are actually on crew of toth that basically go out and get hammered and go right out of float. I mean, that's really what they do. They go on a they go on a uh, pub crawl through the French Quarter. And they go jump on the float. And when she stood up there, you're not supposed to do this. Guys were heaving. Full bags of beads, and each one of these bags of beads probably weighs two pounds. Oof. I mean, guys were winding up, throwing at them like catfish hunter man. Just, whoo, we just, you, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> I walked down past there when it was over, and you couldn't actually step on the floor. It was six or eight inches deep. 
with just beads and footballs and rubber balls or whatever else, beer cans for guys can throw. <laughs> Terrible, man. But most of the time, it's all pretty well behaved. You know, it's a each one of those crews usually supports a charity. Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot that goes on. Don't get me wrong; it's a party, but there's actually a lot of really good stuff that goes on behind the scenes that most people aren't aware of in Mardi Gras, and uh, it's a good thing to be part of. Moving on. So obviously, you got me in here again this week, and Jordan. Let's do it. I'm here. You got any stupid jokes for us this week? No, you guys were making fun of my jokes for the podcast, so I'm not giving a joke this time. Yeah, because <laughs> none I'm, of them said, were good. You said I'm going to run listeners off if I tell jokes, so <laughs> none of them. I'm not good. doing it. They were good. Well, you should have told now. the Biden joke. That was pretty good. Amanda told you. No, we're staying away from the political <laughs> crap. It's funny though. Briar, how y'all doing? Jim, obviously back from Mardi Gras, and uh, we've got Caleb in here this week, and uh, we're talking a little bit of, uh, I would say, Western big game hunting. But you do all kinds of hunting out west. Yeah, mainly uh, elk, mule deer. Uh, we do a little bit of lion hunting in the early months of the year and then other than that we just do some turkey hunting in florida so what got you into guiding out west like you do now women Fair <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> uh so my fiance's father-in-law he moved out there and then uh he guided back in the early 90s and then he went and i just followed and kind of done it ever since well yeah you say fiance but you got what's today's thursday two more days two more days Two more days of being a fiance, yep, and then yep. she's your wife. Well, congratulations. Yes, yeah, sir. Sure. I appreciate it. By the time this comes out, you'll be a married man. Yes, yeah, sir. Sure. Yep. <laughs> Where are y'all going for your honeymoon? Uh, Pine Island. Okay. Yep. Oh, nice. Very nice. Very nice. nice. So, <clears throat> how long have you been guiding out west? Four years now. And uh started just elk hunting on private land, and then now mainly just do uh, public land only on uh, elk hunting and whatnot. And then deer hunting, we just do public land. And then what states do you got in? New Mexico, Arizona, and southern Utah. Okay, so you're you're in the southwest. Southwest, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a different beast uh, than like Colorado and places like that. It's correct? totally different. Yeah, just because we're working off draws, where Colorado you can go up there and get every kind of elk tag. We're strictly draws. Right. Do they have outfitter <clears throat> tags? Yeah, sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can buy landowner tags, but I mean. For the common folk, you got to go into the draw. So you got to hunt for a guy, say, 51 years old, arthritis in his left knee, you know, maybe a little heavy set. <laughs> Elk out of a golf cart. We do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my man. <laughs> we definitely do, but that's private land and uh, tags a little up oh, there. Yeah. Uh, anything that's got two digits left of the comma. <laughs> that's that's pretty heavy. <laughs> <laughs> we can get you on private land for right there at ten thousand. Oh, oh, Jesus! Hear that, Michelle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> only, only. That's a hell of a only ten thousand. Uh, for well, I mean, for how many days? Five day hunt. Guaranteed. Oh, see, honey, that's only two thousand dollars a day. Yeah, I mean, that's not that's include not that meals. Bad. I can spend oh, ten bargain. grand and go kill six <laughs> ducks a day for three days. <laughs> Two grand. <laughs> Listen, I have seen some some stud bulls y'all have killed too. I mean, just God. So this year I had the uh, it was an extension tag hunter. So they raffle it off at the state auction that they do. And then this year that guy he was he bought the tag and uh, came over and hunted with an outfitter that I had. And 
they hunted with him for a couple of days scouting and whatnot didn't find a name they liked and they sent him down there and then uh we got on it and we hunted for i think we were 18 days into it we did we bunch of scouting first and then once you start your hunt you've got 10 days once you start and then we started it and uh day nine we killed <laughs> but it was really day 17 i mean after all the scouting and whatnot Jeez. It was one guy, and we hunted hard. And it was fun. It was neat. The guy was my age, so uh, he was three years older than I was, so it was real fun. Just go. And how old are you for reference? 23. 23. He was 26 years old, spent $67,500 on this tag. Yeah. Dad, I wish I had that kind of money when I was 25, yeah. 26 years old. Man had some money. I don't even think I was making that in a year when I was when I was 26 years old. Well, Phil worked out of Texas. No. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. oh, okay. There you go. Well, that explains worker. it. Yeah. 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 That'll do it. That'll do it quick. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when gas prices are this high. So you started you started uh, guiding at what, then 19, 18, 19? The, my first legal year, I was 19. Uh, I got, I was, my first year, I was just out there running around helping different camps. And then I started for real when I was 19. So you say your first legal year, what does it take to be, I guess, legal? Uh, kind of the company I started with, we had to, everybody goes through a period where you're just, you're not a guide. You just run from camp to camp. You might have to cook. You might have to go pack their elk out for the other guides and you're right. just helping out. And it just gets you, I mean, if you, if you really want to do it, you'll do that first year and go on with it. And luckily I started young, so it was, it was worth it. It definitely was. So is there any, uh, like licensure barrier that you have to have as a guide? You have to have a guide license and cpr but uh your guide license you can go get i had a kid to come out this year and he got his guide license just for just to get it and it was kind of neat uh but he didn't have any interest in guiding any longer he just wanted to get it say so he had it and you can do that you can come out there and go take the test from the state of new mexico and have it so is it like a pilot's license though where like you have to have so many you hours or just once you have it you have it. once you have it you have to renew it once a year uh, but other than that, you don't have to have anything other than that CPR card. Uh, huh. So is there is there's no test or there's no demonstration of wilderness first aid, wilderness survival, no, common sense. Just, just, just pass your test, and then you're good. What is the test? Uh, it's a so it's fifty uh, like a multiple choice. Yeah, and then fifty fill in the blank deals. Oh, so they do ask questions. You have no, to no, demonstrate no, yes, some aptitude. It's yes. not just I ran around cooking for dudes for a year. And here's, <laughs> no, I'm yeah. a guide now. No, you definitely have question. to take a test. Yeah. Uh, it's not bad. It's, yeah. A lot of common sense stuff. A lot of common sense. Don't climb down into things you can't climb up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> tell that to Captain McCann. Stay warm when it's cold. Stay cool when it's warm. Yeah, right. Oh, man. So what kind of, you talk about stay warm when it's cold, cool when it's warm. What kind of weather extremes do you guys see down there in the southwest like that? Man, it's from all over the board. We start in, or we start in August antelope hunting, and then that's 80-degree weather every day, hot. And then uh, September rolls around, we're archery hunting elk. Uh, that packs light rain gear. Other than that, you're not packing anything heavy. By the end of September, you better have a coat with you. And then October rolls around, it's getting cold, and I mean, It'll be miserable by the end of October and November. It's sure enough cold. How's the wind? Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> August, September, it's not bad. It's beautiful. September's awesome out there. Uh, mm-hmm. October, November, rest of the year, it's miserable. Yeah. That's what I recall. That's why I come back to Florida. <laughs> Always out of the west and incessant. So that if you're walking north, just the left side of your face goes numb. Actually, it doesn't go numb. It starts to hurt. 
you have to turn around and walk backwards for a while so the right side of the face gets punished <laughs> oh man so i mean what all goes into you because you said you guys hunt some some lions some we do we hunt lions but uh, i mean what all goes into that dogs dogs you gotta have dogs um we've got multiple guys on the ground running tracks we do a lot of dry ground hunting when we do uh on snow so snow dogs they can just you can take a bear dog and go catch land in the snow uh dry ground hunting you've got to put in the work and find tracks or horseback and hope your dog strike a track and go uh that's a lot more work than snow but it's fun what's the success rate rate on so we do a five-day hunt you're not guaranteed or we do a seven day here guaranteed guys that come on the seven day kill a lion. Wow. Hmm. hmm. That's a lot better than I would have thought. I would have thought like one in five or something like that. No, sure. Most of our clients kill lions. Even in the dry stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Hmm. So what's what's the big difference in the two days? Just because if you come on a seven day and don't kill, you can come back. Oh, okay. You just come back, buy a plane ticket, and it's on us. Gotcha. So I mean we make sure our clients kill. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I was going to say, well, it's, I'm thinking the two days really make all that world of a difference. So a lion does have a, a track, so they go in, They, I mean, they keep their pattern. Right. And uh, if you get behind him, if you're behind him two days and you stay behind him two days, you're never going to catch up to him. So you got to get ahead of him, find where he's crossing next, and then you plan that out. And if he's doing a five-day loop or a 14-day loop, whatever, you've got to kind of have that figured out. And on a seven-day hunter – by the time you start to figure him out, by the end of that hunt, you'll have him pretty much figured out and catch him. I say, well, yeah, even on a on a seven on a fourteen day loop at seven days, at w- one day in your seven days, he's going to be at your half. At you're going to be spot. at the halfway point. Yes, yeah. you should be. If you're doing your work, you'll be right. Yeah. So there's a lot of scouting that goes into those lines too. Then there's a lot more scouting going into lion hunting than there is any elk hunting. <laughs> I mean, on them governor tags for the elk and deer and whatnot, you do. Got, you, I mean, you're hunting, scouting a lot. Yeah. But, the uh, lion hunting, you've got to, I mean, have your stuff figured out. Jeez. I want to do one of those. What's a lion hunt run? So, for five days, we are 5,000. Seven days, we're 7,500. That's really not, that's, that's that's not, not as bad as, as, as I thought, as bad it, thought it was going to be. Yeah. How, how many guys get to go on that hunt for 7,500 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> one, gun and, one gun and how many cameras? One gun, and you can bring all your buddies. <laughs> We, our lion hunts are good times. We just have fun. Elk hunting, we t- we, we're serious during our elk hunts, but lion hunts, you just come out there and have a good time. I, I, imagine, I wouldn't go just to just to experience that. They're neat. Yeah. 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 But I would imagine a lot of lion hunting is – you do it on horseback or you, you hike it? Uh, it depends. We've got – so I'll be horseback, and then uh, – so my father-in-law, he's on his buggy, and he just meets us with fresh dogs depending on where we're hunting. Uh, our snow hunting, you're all in a buggy. But what I was going to say is that I would imagine the dogs are doing, you know, all the work. Dogs are. But you're seeing incredible country. You are. And then in the end, the celebration is. Yeah. The chasing, the country the, the chasing of the lion and going through the country, following a lion. I mean, just following a lion. Go follow a lion. See where he goes. That is absolutely amazing. Oh, man. I'm, I, go I, I went from being a little bit interested places. to a lot of interested all of a sudden for some reason. It was, I, I guess it's the scene of the country. How's it taste? Uh, about like you think it would. Uh, I mean, just like I've know. heard it tastes like pork. It does. Kind yeah, of pork. A, I mean, that yeah. would be the closest thing to it. Like Bobcat's pr- pork. Bobcat's yeah. pork. Uh, fried chicken, like uh, or fried chicken steak. What you? I mean. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't sound bad. No. No. We don't eat them all. 
say, his, his face says it's edible. <laughs> I mean, you could, sur- you could survive off of it, but there's a lot of better stuff to eat out there. Yeah. yeah. So you're essentially going out there sure for the, elk, elk for the experience. Yes. The elk yeah, but elk great. is pretty much top of the food chain. And then you got a bunch of small stuff that tastes just as good. You know, grouse and stuff like that and pheasant. But, you know, it's not fair to compare pretty much anything to elk. You know, it's like comparing it to beef. But if you like that wild stuff, I don't know. I mean, I like when I tell people about bobcat, I've never killed a you know lion. I tell people bobcat's not like just edible. Bobcat's good. It's pork. Mm. <laughs> I mean, maybe a little leaner, but I don't know. I, I'm curious. But I'm, I'm the foodie, you know. So, so it, I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day, and we were talking about how um, like people say more hens taste bad, but. I would disagree. I think all of us, I, maybe Caleb, I don't know if you've ever had them before, but I know all of us, at least except for Caleb, would disagree and say that they do taste good. But something that kind of clicked for me the other day is people say, well, they taste fishy. Well, that's not untrue, right? But here's the thing. If you take a moorhen and you know it tastes fishy or a duck that you know kind of tastes fishy and you try to cook it like a duck that doesn't taste fishy, well, guess what it tastes like? Fishy, yes. right? But if you take a moorhen, knowing that it tastes fishy, and then you deep fry it like you would a piece of fish, and season it similar to the same, it tastes good. I've never yeah. got fish taste from moorhen. Well, we've really soaked a lot of ours in buttermilk, and that takes all that a lot of that taste out of there. Oh, so you could make you could make a, a dog turd taste good if you soak it in buttermilk for long enough. <laughs> well, a lot of that, I think. I think it's just because people overcook stuff. I have yeah. learned too in cooking, like in the last past few years, that uh, a lot of wild game is it. It's rare to medium rare. Yeah, yeah, that's the you, way to go. You either barely put it on the fire, or if it's a really tough piece, you just slow Cook and low. Forever. See you tomorrow. Yeah, you guys had that um, that whole venison shoulder I did fourteen hours at oh, one hundred and sixty yeah. degrees. Yeah, fell apart. That was delicious. Well, even the venison shanks. Yep are delicious and you're doing how long are you doing those for a little higher heat but i mean i i don't that's the thing when you're braising stuff down like that you gotta let it go at least eight hours but it really doesn't matter if it goes 12 or 10 right it just goes (laughs) right (laughs) you you keep the lid on so the moisture doesn't all evaporate out you know but you know we're just thinking about um yeah Jim, what's up you haven't brought food in here in a while this this is yeah all right I hear you. Yeah. I was just looking at pictures today of in the studio and I'm seeing like, oh, look, there's a pot of food Jim brought. There's a pot of food Jim brought. There's something. And now I'm thinking we're talking about it. I'm like, Jim hasn't brought in some crazy meal. I mean, Jim brought in uh, the uh, kidney and uh, the kidney pie, steak and kidney pie. I wasn't here for that one. You were not, but it was, it was good. So rich. Yeah. It's very good. Well, part of the thing, man, is I cook it all up and then I find out that you're on second dinner. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Usually, it isn't like I give you an hour warning and say, I'm coming in next week, and you still eat dinner. Usually, uh, I, try, I try to, when I know you're bringing food, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll eat a, a very little bit. And then I'll come out here and eat too. Mm. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I'm not going to just pass up the food because uh, it's good. But I'll figure something out for next week. Yeah. Why don't you come back next week? Caleb will have some food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Jim, Jim's the kind of cook that, like, we showed up one time, what was it, Three Lakes? And yeah. uh, he was feeding us some stuff. 
And I was like, man, this is really good. What is this? Jim's like, it's crow. I'm like, what? He's like, it's crow. I was like, my God, I got to start killing more crows. Yeah. I don't know, man. You just learn to work with what you got. Yeah. Though, I can make raccoon taste good. I just don't like to. I know there's people that say, oh, just do this. I'm baloney. Man, raccoon needs work to be good. So tell me, what's your favorite animal to guide for? Uh, it has to be elk. 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 So what makes elk your favorite one to guide for? Oh, when they're screaming in your face at three yards, it's hard to beat. Yeah. yeah. So archery then? Archery elk. Archery yeah. elk is unbeatable. I mean, just that massive animal. Just I mean, when he's right there, I mean, there's nothing like it in the world. I mean, and my thing, I've not been behind the, I mean, I've shot one elk in my life. Uh, his rifle didn't have the early archery tag. Uh, been trying to draw one, haven't yet. Uh, it's just, it's something different. I mean, it's like turkey hunting, but closer and a lot bigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and a lot louder. <laughs> a lot louder. <laughs> I've never heard somebody compare elk hunting to turkey hunting. I have, but yeah. But I mean, it is, I, I mean, I guess that. if you think no, about yeah, it, yeah, I, I just, can get it. It's, it's the same thing. I mean, just bigger animal. Yeah. Hmm. So I've heard guys tell me that you go out in the Majestic, and I forgot to ask that from Will, too, that um, you think you know how big an elk is because you're used to seeing deer. And then when the elk is right there in front of you that you have to suppress the fight or flight response yep. because it's huge. And you do, you, you, your brain says, if this goes wrong, you're dead. <laughs> you're right? I mean, I, I've had two guys get scared and like this. Yeah. I mean, sure enough scared when they're like right there. Yeah. And, it's, and it, I mean, it, it could be scary if like things went wrong and he got mad and wasn't scared of you and it could go bad. Yeah. But they are scared of you. Right? Yeah. I mean, you look at something that big, and you you gotta know you got you have to understand that uh, if he wants to fight you, he's going to win. Yes, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's like I mean, you see people get well if you watch people in like Cades Cove to get trampled by elk, and then out in Yellowstone buffaloes, and then you know every now and then you'll see the video pop up of like snowmobilers, people on a snowmobile getting their butt whipped by a moose. Mm. Those are they may. Those animals may eat vegetables, but they will put a whooping on you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I know I've heard some from about you before. We'll get into that later, too, about some of the people that come out to rifle hunt. But how often do you have people come out to archery hunt that just aren't prepared? Like, just bought a bow. More times than not. (laughs) So, if if I get one good client a year, I am stoked. Like, I mean, (laughs) more times than not, a guy comes out there, I mean, you put a $20 or a uh, 20 yard block out there and he can't hit it like i mean most times the guys come out there just very unprepared uh and can't hike like if you're coming out on the archery elk hunt like i would i mean walk a i mean 30 minute mile that is like not a fast mile to walk and most guys can't do it and that so like preparedness is a huge thing if, if you're prepared and can do in the work you'll kill an elk i'm saying too like you said you've yet to draw an archery tag so if you know they've been putting in for this tag for a while and they come out and they're still not prepared it, it boggles my mind. And then you've got some guys that come out every year and still aren't prepared every year, over and over again. My God. And that's one of those, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to provide people with excuses, but all I can, the only way I can wrap my head around that is that you've been putting in for how many, so before I say this, before I put my foot in my mouth, how many years on average does it take to draw an archery tag out there? 
you can draw one first year. So I've had uh, non-res, non-resident. If you put in for a tough tag, if you put in for primo tag, you're not going to draw it first year. Well, so New Mexico is a draw. I mean, it is right. a complete draw. Arizona, you got to build points, and you might draw your primo tag in 30 years from now. Oh, so Arizona doesn't have preference points. Arizona does. New Mexico does not. New Mexico does not have yes. preference points. Sorry. Uh, New Mexico, you go put in for a tough unit, you have a very good chance of drawing as a non-resident just because it is tough, rough, I mean, nasty country, minimal elk. You go put in for a primo unit that's easy, plenty of elk, it's hard to draw. Just because the amount of people putting in. So how long does it take to draw one of those units like that? I mean, you could draw the first year. That's the thing. It's a draw. It's a random draw. Well, I mean, in... in What he's saying is if there's no preference points, every year, whether you went in one time or your 50th year, everybody's still... Yeah, I've had people that put in for 30 years and just Mm -hmm. this is their first time drawing it. I've had plenty of people put in, oh, this is my first time putting in for this unit. I drew it. Gotcha. Okay, so you're saying so the only reason you draw the other ones is because nobody puts in for nobody, it. I mean, people do, but I mean, there's a lot Not more tags. Many, right. Yes. I mean, so it's, gotcha. it is a complete and total lottery. Lottery. It is a complete and total lottery system. You know, well, then. that seems to me, having looked at it, like the first couple of years, preference points probably made sense. But now when you look at some of the states that have preference points where the point creep is to the point that if you're not already maxed out, you can't get there. Cause everybody, right. or when you look at some of the other species, especially, um, sheep where realistically, if you want, you don't, if you're my age, you don't even bother. You can't live long enough. You literally statistically can't live long enough. I, I don't drive, know if I'm sheep. the youngest person in here tonight. You are, but definitely, uh, it doesn't make sense for me to start putting in for sheep now. Right. You got to start putting in for your kid. You have to put in for your grandkid almost for yeah. to draw sheep now. And still, they might not ever draw it. I would say we had uh, Captain McNutt that came in here and he went on a sheep hunt with a guy that drew a tag and he had been putting in for 40 years. So New Mexico is still a total lottery system, yeah. but there's so many people put in for it. Arizona, uh, we go like a bunch of the guides, like we'll just all go, like we'll go for free. We won't get paid. We'll just go because. You don't get to do it that often. I mean, yeah. yes, there's a couple outfitters that strictly focus on sheep, but I mean, the outfit that we work for, if you get a client has a sheep tag, y'all just all go and help out just because it's such a cool experience and you don't get to do that very often. Jeez. Yeah, so, man. you guys, we're talking about less money and stuff. And the thing is, all right, earlier I asked you about the golf cart hunt. Don't really want that. But this year I, I learned I had arthritis in my left knee and I didn't know I had it. My knee would get a little sore. And then all of a sudden I was off pheasant of all things and it, it broke down to the point where I thought I was going to have to have surgery because I must have blown something up. And it's taken over a month, and I'm back to where I was before I went hunting. But when they told me I had arthritis, and uh, when I said I had it, I couldn't, I couldn't walk across the room. And it was from use. When they told me about that it's going to get worse than everything else, I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. But I, honestly, the only disappointment that I had was, well, I guess I'm going to have to cross elk hunting off the list. Like, you just... I had a client that was 83 years old killed an elk with me this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he, you know, there's exceptional <laughs> people. So, and, and, and he, that's he good to know. He can't walk. He cannot walk. Yeah. That's good to know. So you just do it off a horse or a buggy or... Horse, uh, buggy, Azuzu, Miko is my preference. So, those are all... <laughs> and that, and that, if, you can, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But I guess what I'm... For the guys that are in this room, we're all more of the... Um, 
there's elk out there somewhere. Let's just go find them. Yeah, keep yeah. keep keep climbing and looking down until you find them. So I think, and that's and that's one of the things that just part of age. And I'm not going to go mushy on this one, but you know it's coming, right? And for me, it's like it's if it's not if I'm not there now, like I'm right there. So I don't know. In this podcast, I'm going to need to chat with a little bit more about figuring something out because I know like the idea of well, I'll do it later. No, nah, no. Nah. It's possible. Later was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I'm already, I'm already <laughs> late. There's a part of me that that when I do things like that, I go somewhere and I hunt. I hunt ground that I don't know, or I'm hunting. I want to. I don't know. Supper is the right word, but I want yeah. to work for it. I, I don't. I don't want it to be easy. No, I, I've got plenty of guys that come out there on a rifle tag. Uh, they fly in on their personal plane. They land. We go pick <laughs> them up, and you take them out there. We've already done our work. Take them out there first morning. They lay down and shoot an elk. They don't have, I mean, yeah, you got your elk, but what joy do you have in that? I mean, you, right. don't, you don't have any story to tell about it. Yeah, my guide did everything. Like, that's that's not fun. Like, no, the, I don't, gu- I, the guide's the guy doing the hunting. Exactly. And that's right. like, uh, you can go out there and do your, do your hunt yourself. And if you kill, you kill. If not, you you did, I mean, you did the work. I want a story, yeah. I want to have come back and actually learn something. Like, exactly. I, I want to come back here and, and be like, you know what? I have a very basic understanding of how to hunt elk after yep. spending X amount of days somewhere hunting elk, whether I was successful or not. And then you can go back again if you can afford it, so on and so forth, and, and try and figure it out until you are successful. But, I don't know, man. I just, I can't. I, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm young, yeah. right? You do it. I'm 31 years old. I got plenty of gas left in the tank uh, and... I don't know. Get a big old tank on you. No, yeah. but what what yeah, what your head's doing is your your head's telling you that you don't have the time to dedicate to it, and that you don't have the money. I, I, I don't, forgive me for telling you what's in your head, but that that's always the excuse: time and money. And and, and to be fair, you got obligations, right? But it's not really that difficult to plan for, right? It's a matter of just putting money away every week, and also probably going to your boss and saying, "Hey, this is something I'd like to do." in 2025 or whatever i'd need a couple of weeks but i don't want to get fired and then of course you got to go to your wife and your kids and say hey daddy's gonna go do this in a couple of years right and you got to be able you've got to be able to buy that time from them too and uh, that's something that i didn't do when i was younger i was just grinding 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 well that's you know we talk about all the time it's kind of worked out i'm happy in some respects but there was an awful lot of roses that i didn't smell because i didn't think i could (laughs) You can, and it's 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 only it's not the big deal you think it is. You think it's like, oh my god, it's too much time, it's too much money. It is if you decide you're going to do it tomorrow, right? But it's not if you say I'm going to do this in two years, right? And you just work at it every week, right? Losing the weight—that's the easy part, man. That's that's a couple of months of just putting dedication to the gym, and you'll be mountain ready if you don't have arthritis. But <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe we'll see if that's how big an endeavor that is, but. That's my. I'm not just talking to you. Well, I'm talking to anybody listening to this podcast who is thinking that I'll do it later. And I'm telling you, I'm later. And I'm telling you, I should have done it earlier. And I'm, I'm begging anybody listening to this thing to uh, take a few of those things that you that you figure you really want to get around to. Just cut one off the list right now and do it yeah. sooner than later. So elk, lions. What else you got out there? Here. Mule deer, mule deer, mule deer, uh, antelope, 
bear, and that's about all we. I mean, we've got so antelope. What what goes in the guy an antelope out there? It, Drive around and pick up and look for antelope. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about the most simple one right yep. there. Antelope and oryx are about the same. Uh, oryx are a bunch on the missile range, White Sands Missile Range, and other yeah. ranges. Uh, I do the off-range oryx hunt, which those are cool. I mean, you're just bawling and pick up in sand dunes looking for big white things that have horns off their head. Yeah. <laughs> so that's right. what, I, what is I'll bite. How much does it cost to hunt an oryx? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's all on drawing your tag. That's, I mean, it all comes down to drawing your tag. Okay. What What How? is an oryx? I don't know if I've ever heard an of it. An oryx. Scimitar. Oryx. Kim's buck. It's, yeah, big, long spike. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, if you if you shot spikes like that in Ocala, you'd have a dang up Florida State record right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> what do they have, three and a half, four feet of bone on their head? Uh, you try to shoot, I mean, 36 is a good, so three feet. Three feet? Yeah. 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 So you'd have boys going crazy on the radio in the forest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Surprised the nobody's, Lord. nobody's cut one loose here. You know, don't say that. We got enough invasive species as it is. Yeah. Yeah. We got too many of them in Florida. Actually, I think some, this something is the capital of invasive species is right here in Florida. Something Texas. big and pretty like that wouldn't stand a chance, but they would not last. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. No. <laughs> well, think about think about when a dang um, fallow deer gets out of somebody's pen anywhere around here. How long that sucker lasts for? Yeah. Not long. No, it don't season. even last a year. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, though, you could drive around Central Texas and you'll stumble into herds of Roman stuff that isn't supposed to be. Oh there. Jesus! Yeah, I lost all my pictures. I had some good pictures of them, but I lost all. Of them. <laughs> He's he showed me some videos that you've sent him of of hunting various animals out there shooting at, at range and stuff like that. And that's it's pretty cool, man. It, it's neat, but I mean it's when you get close to stuff, that's where it's at. Yeah. I mean anybody can get behind a scope. Somebody turn dial for them and pull the trigger. Hmm. But getting in close is where it's at. So how often do you got do you got any archery hunts for orcs? I mean that no. Yeah. So I, I've not done any yet of archery orcs. Uh we've got some guys that try to do some archery mule deer hunting, which is a blast. Uh I had an archery mule deer tag this year. So that was kind of neat. Um, and then we do a little bit of archery antelope, but not much. How, how much harder is it to get a, a mule deer in close than it, an elk? All depends. Jane and we're mule deer hunting in the rut. I mean, you can get close pretty easy. Um, so I had an early archery season tag, so that was I had first 24 days of September to hunt. And uh, it was fun. It was all velvet deer, so it's seen some good bucks but i was running at a time i only had like five days to hunt it before i started guiding for elk and shot a little buck but uh, put meat in the freezer yeah i'll say we had we had a buddy uh that jordan spencer that does a lot of filming and stuff and he actually shot a uh, velvet a nice velvet mule deer this year nice but Work. he had gotten lucky enough to where his guide had caught one that just bedded down okay and he was able to spot and stalk it nice. as it bedded down and then shot it at what like 30 yards or something like that something like that yeah yeah that's that was, awesome that was his first Arch- velvet deer and first mule deer archer mule deer is the best like, I mean, yeah trying to kill one with a bow it's hard that's got to be sick dude so it seems like you're quieted up with just archery hunting in general i love archery hunting that's it archery hunting's the best so tell me about the bears uh bears they've got uh so the first 24 days of september it's archery mm-hmm. and then uh, the 25th of September starts for the people can run dogs or shoot them a rifle. Uh, we do a little bit, mainly uh, running dogs on them. 
We got some buddies that we go with. All our dogs are strictly lion dogs. We don't let them trash on bears. Uh, but the spot and stalk bear hunts are fun with a rifle. That is cool. Bears you guys are, hunting black bears? Black bears. They're yeah. color phase bears. So you'll get some uh, mm. blonde and some chocolate in there. A bunch of blacks, so. <clears throat> though. So what do you go ahead? What do you, what do you mean you don't let your lion dogs trash on bears? Well, you, I mean, you want will to, it ruin a lion dog? Will it ruin one? It'll make you more. You don't want to. I mean, you're trailing a lion and fresh bear track cross. You don't want to go out there and catch a bear. Okay. You'd rather him just stay honest. I mean, lion dogs are. I mean, they're hot commodities. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, turn up good ones are. So. What kind of dogs y'all running for lions? Uh, train walkers. Train walkers. Yeah, sure. Man, everybody uses a train walker for everything. Other than Captain Ducks, that's about it. Yeah, pretty common uh, hound to run just about anything with. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a pack of them. They're fun. Oh, I bet. Man, there's nothing like just listening to the dogs run. No, there's not. You know, earlier you mentioned being in Florida to hunt turkeys. How come you're not chasing uh, Miriam out in... We do. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, sure. So that's coming up, right? Yep. Was it April? May? April. You know, actually, I'm, I'm going to be out that way in April. <laughs> so, yeah, but ta- tag, yeah. No, over the counter. Really? Yep. And there's plenty of forest around us. They're hard to hunt. They get hunted real hard where we are. But mm. they are there, and you can kill them. So, I mean, the turkey hunting out there, you're going to sit water and uh, wait for them to be, because they're going to stay close to water. We are very slim on water where we are. So uh, you just stay close to water, and you'll be... Birds will be around there before long, and then you go to them. Yet another after the podcast, I need to talk to you. <laughs> so, so speaking of water, what do you think about the whole trail camera walls that came down? I love them. Up there. I absolutely love them. They got rid of the trail cameras? Yes. When you've got, let's say all of us have a camera on the tank out there. Okay? Right. So you're going to check, check yours on Monday. You're going to check yours Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So now we've all gone in there five days a week. And... I mean, those animals that were coming in there now are going to be pushed to a different day, pushed to a different day. And before long, they're just going to go find water somewhere else. And, well, there's not water elsewhere. I mean, it's New Mexico, Arizona, where there's very slim water. So, I mean, I think it's a good thing. I think they should ban trail cameras. I mean, we can get political on it, but I think they should get rid of them in general out there just because of the water situation. There's very slim water. Private land, I don't care what you do, but public land, they should get rid of it. How about degradation of habitat just... Because you said there's no water. I imagine everything's a little bit more fragile. There is. Yeah. I mean, you don't drive off-road out there. And people, I mean, going shed hunting. Shed hunting's a huge thing where we are. People will take the bug and go off-road. And, and, I mean, it's rough on ground. Ground takes a long time to heal back up. Out so, there. Is there a lot of sage out there? Uh, Not where we are because we're in more mountains. But there is mm-hmm. sage. Like, you get out there and the sage flats down by the country. We're like the high desert, what we, I would call where we are. I know that if somebody takes their truck off, you'll see two tracks out saying Wyoming. And if somebody's taking their truck off through the sage, they've gotten off the two track. Um, you don't know how long ago they did it because it's it could have been yesterday or it could have been last year. The track's just there. It's that fragile. It's really weird compared to in Florida. You know, we could you could run a bush hog through the center of the woods and come back in two weeks and not know anybody's <laughs> gone through. Right. right. So <clears throat> it's interesting. It's it's, it's uh, neat to hear that perspective from somebody who deals in that realm. That's right, because we just talked about that at, like a month ago or so, and yeah. I feel like, you know, hunting in Florida, you have a whole different perspective, because there's just so many people. I mean, 
people run churro camels like crazy, but we have so much property here yep. close to us, and we have water Everywhere. readily available. Everywhere. Yeah, so it's not like everybody's running to the pond. I that, mean, and you're not putting it on a drinker here. You're gonna put it on a trail. Yeah, everybody out there is putting. They're putting it on water. Yeah, and you're all going to visit that water weekly. I mean, it pushes livestock and uh, game off of the drinkers. I think. So how do they fill them water tanks back up? Uh, rain. I mean, rain. They've got they've got the dams built where they catch the water off of really runoff, and then like uh, a lot of the. I mean, the drinkers that you see, they're all plumbed in. The ranchers put those in. So if it weren't for cattle ranchers, there wouldn't be water for game. And right. That's, that's a big thing out there. That's pretty neat. Never knew that. So how much time do you actually get to hunt yourself where you're actually pulling a trigger or not pulling often. a string? <laughs> no, unless I buy a tag. This year I hunted, uh, so I would have, I spent six days uh, archery mule deer hunting, and then I spent one day bear hunting. That's about all the time you get rest of well, it. Well, when I'm in Florida, somebody I, else. I'm hog hunting every night when I'm yeah. in Florida. So <laughs> I do. I say this man right here gets down on some hogs in Florida. Well, he catches for you. Catch so for where you. Are you you're that's from an understatement. Here I was born and raised right there in Casha. Okay. Yeah. So you're here and then. That's right. That's you followed a girl. Women. Yeah. Women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to hunt right down the road from you. Yeah, sure. Mm hmm. Yeah, your rant that that place you hunted literally was right down the road from where he grew up. Where'd you hunt down there? Um, what is that road? Pine Road. Just Pine Road. Yeah, there's a big old round pin back there now, ain't there? Yeah, there Something is. Like I think. Yeah, I remember going out there when you with you when we were younger hunting doves out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think we went there hunting pigs one time. Did we? we I don't minded. remember. It's been it's been so many years, man. Yeah, since y'all have had that place out there. But I'm telling you, you wouldn't think that there's the amount of pigs around here that there is oh, until you see the amount of pigs that Caleb kills. I mean, oh, I'm don't talking about it. Caleb is on some studs, dude. I don't kill any pigs. Well, yeah. I catch them alive. So, <laughs> so tell me some of your funnier stories from your guiding adventures. Oh, man. There's a, there's a bunch of them. Uh, getting people to uh, first-timers. First timers the best because you can convince them about anything, really. <laughs> uh, getting, I mean, just messing with the guy, talking about getting them lost and whatnot. <clears throat> We've had some guys that, and you, I mean, you hike out there. I mean, me being young, I'll go. I mean, some fifteen miles out there, I'll go, and I mean, it'll take you all day. But you just go and hunt. And uh, we've had some guys here coming back in the dark, and you're just walking, walking, walking. We're there yet? We're there yet? No. And uh. You get those guys a bunch. The old guys. The old guys that have been out there a bunch. I think they know where they're at. You go sit down on your classing spot. And you're sitting around classing, watching everything. And all of a sudden you look around and your hunter's not there. <laughs> then you go hollering for your hunter. He's still on the answer. Then you just get out of here. Just hang out, leave your backpack, everything there, and go start looking for your hunter. And they just wandering off. We had one. We were up there on the Kayabab, which is very, I mean, that's, Old renowned place for me there, and uh, we all walked into camp that day to take lunch and whatnot. And uh, it's all you just drive around pickup hunt deer. Well, this hunter kept on about how he was there's deer behind the camp, there's deer behind the camp. No, man, we've been here, we've done our homework, we know where the deer are. Now, there's deer behind the camp. So, we're all laid down in there one day taking a nap, and the old boy gets up and he leaves out, goes with his muzzle. <laughs> we're hanging around, 
him time to, I mean, go out for demon hunt, and he's still on your back. And we had to start driving around looking for this old boy, and we found him about four miles down the road, and he's just walking, walking the opposite direction of camp. He said, I'll pick him up. Where are you heading? Back to camp. Uh, oh, camp's the other way. <laughs> and, I mean, you just get quite a few guys like that just going, I mean, they're going to do it their way. It's, 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 it doesn't make sense to me. So tell me about your rifle hunters. Uh, rifle hunters, it, I mean, you've got them all over the board. Guys that can shoot, I mean, lay down and shoot a thousand yards and do it consistent. Then you've got guys, we had a guy this year, he was, I mean, hopefully none of them listen, but, uh, we had one this year, he was shooting 126 yards. He done rolled his turret all the way up there. He thought he was back zeroed out. He was at like 690 or whatnot on his dial. And we missed three times at 126 yards. <laughs> just, I mean, just shooting over him, phone shooting over him, over and over that's you, the buck fever. I was going to say, I, yeah. I know I talked to you at Garrett's wedding, and he had told me a story about a guy. It was about the same thing where he had just turned his turret, and you looked over, and his turret was, like, way off. And you're like, oh, yeah. dude. Yeah. it's. I mean, that happens a lot. Guys should come out there with single cross arrows. Like, I mean, if you don't know, I mean, honestly, guys should come out there with single cross arrows and 300. Like, other than that, guys should, I mean, most guys should not come out there with turds. What's, what's your least favorite caliber to see a hunter come and bring into camp? Um, man, it's all over. I mean, if you can shoot, I don't care what you shoot. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, uh, you're at elk camp. You got a hunter coming in for rifle elk and he brings a X caliber. You know that you, your first thought is, oh, great. Uh, 30 out of six. It'd be thirty out six. Most of them guys are just bring whatever their buddy's gun. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> Never shot it walking in yeah, with their buddy's gun. I mean, they borrowed a gun. Come on, they'll cut. Like we get that quite a bit. My buddy said it was sided in. Yeah, two hundred is zeros. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Your buddy wears bifocal it's lenses and that. you don't wear glasses at all. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'll do it every time. It will. I none of them seen here wear glasses anymore. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> anymore. Some of us are heading right back into them. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Briar says that because Briar had glasses that were thicker than these whiskey glass, than the bottom of this whiskey glass. Were you 20, yeah, they 2,400? Were, they were pretty close. Yeah. That's what it yeah. was before the surgery. They, they were just about as thick as the bottom of this whiskey glass. <laughs> it's a whole new world. Holy shit. There's knots in the wood here. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you've been following the stream access thing that's been going on. Big victory for uh, hunters and fishermen out in New Mexico. The Supreme Court a couple of days ago just came down and said, uh, "If if uh, all I guess all the waterways are are, are indeed public." Where I, I, I guess that used to be how it was, and then somehow that got confused and they issued a couple of uh, permits or I don't know what you want to call it to landowners that they were able to close off access down certain streams where now I guess just two days ago, the Supreme court um, said, Nope, you uh, the state Supreme court that uh, you can't block off your stream. So, and it, and it, it, of course that's a big deal to fishermen and rafters and kayakers and things, but they also provide those waterways provide access for hunters to be able to get into different areas of public land. It's an access through private to get into public. Yeah. Uh, the streams are a big deal out there. Everybody's like ranchers, particularly, and we do run cattle out there. So, uh, the waterways are very sensitive. If you ask the state of New Mexico, just because they've got all their minnows and whatnot, the access points. I think. Uh, I mean, it's my personal opinion on it. 
but I think they should be allowed to walk up a stream to a piece of public. Uh, I think the corner crossing should be allowed. You've seen all that stuff yeah. going on. Yeah, my man. I think corner crossing should be allowed. Oh, we'll just get that. I agree, man. I, I agree. think I think the air rights is only. Look, man, I get it. Private landowners' rights are private landowners' rights, but you're telling me that because my shoulders crossed over the tippy tippy tips of your corners, mm-hmm. yeah. that somehow I violated you. So I violate you. Did any of y'all see the video where the guys were uh, taking the chopper into the? the gridded off place did y'all see any of that Mm-mm. so there's a video floating around these guys that they went in they flew in dropped their stuff on a gridded off piece it's a square mile piece of land and that's how they accessed it which technically they're legally allowed to do i mean you didn't cross the landowner's land so and that was a big thing with the corner crossing you're not you can't control the airspace so if i'm going to come out there where you guide and do a diy hunt what state should I be looking at to draw for? Or what state should I be applying in? I would apply New Mexico just because it is the complete lottery. Uh, you have a chance of drawing a tag your first year where other states that have a preference point system, you, I mean, chance of drawing tags is very slim. So New Mexico is a very good chance to draw a tag. Colorado, you can go buy a tag over the counter, which, I mean, you got a tag then. So right. It well, all, I mean... What's the best time of year to be out there for elk? When's say, the rut, I would say? The rut is probably the 14th through the, I mean, first part of October. First, so, two, first two weeks of September are hard. Just, they are hitting water. If you want to go sit on the water, go get a water tank and sit there the rest of the day. You have a very good chance of killing elk because they are coming to water. But, I mean, then again, you are on public land trying to find water. I would say, but at that point, you got however, have how many elk? Other You're, hunters yeah. on that water. Just depends how far you want to go back in the woods. So there's, I mean, there is water holes on Onyx that aren't marked, but you got to find them. Yeah. <laughs> then you got to get out whatever you kill from wherever you went in. Yep. That's that's the. Uh, that's when you take some buddies with you. That's the second three quarters of the battle. I'm not going to say the second yeah. half. Yeah. You know, because that, that's a lot of weight to be packing out of it there. Is. How much do y'all use Onyx as guides? I use it every day. If yeah. I didn't have Onyx, I, I mean, like it would suck. It would tear places. <laughs> uh, Onyx is a huge support just for us. I mean, and then there's other apps, but Onyx is, I, I think, the way to go. I use it here. I use it out there. I'll say I, I use, personally, I use HuntWise. Okay. Just because for me, like here in Florida, finding private land is not the easiest thing to do. And then HuntWise, I can find private land and HuntWise will give me the phone number to the person on that private land. Okay. So mm-hmm. it gives you a little more Onyx. Yeah. That's pretty much. Sometimes. Sometimes, Sometimes yeah. But HuntWise will give me, I don't know if Onyx will because I don't use Onyx anymore, but HuntWise will give me, uh, like, burn. It give me burn maps, too. Onyx will. Onyx yeah, Onyx does. And Onyx now has a, a uh, they've got active acorn fires. falling. Yeah. You know, oaks producing acorns, layer, and all kinds of neat stuff now. Sounds like I need to get back on Onyx. They all set <laughs> yeah. points, though. So, we covered the so we're going to uh, New Mexico, you said, in October. First part, of, uh, middle part of September. Middle part of September. That's prime rut. Okay, so we're looking at New Mexico, middle of September. Was that what season is that? Archery. That's archery. Second archery season. Second archery season. Okay. So what kind of, as far as, what kind of shape do I need to be in coming out there? Physical what, shape. Uh, I mean, you need to be able to carry, I mean, quarter of your weight. If you can carry a quarter of your weight all day long, you'll be fine. 
I'm losing a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> I say that roughly because your water. Water is heavy. Yeah. Uh, guys that, I mean, don't drink a lot of water, they're fine. They can go all day. Uh, guys that are going to go out there and drink a pile of water, my father, he drinks a case of water when he goes backpacking with me. I drink two bottles of water a day. Is that good for me? Probably not. But, I mean, guys fluctuate on their water. Um, and then the minimum, I mean, take your bare minimum that you need. You don't need to take, I mean, your cooker and all that stuff with you. And guys do, but it's not worth it. So leave your cooker at camp. Yes, leave it there. Eat when you're back to camp. <laughs> Make a little hungry through the day. Bring so snacks. And bring your snacks, but I mean, yeah. I guess it's a good thing I eat once a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're packing in and out of a base camp and yeah. just moving back and forth yes. from one central location or moving out from one central location back there in the evenings. Yes. And then how far are you going from, I guess, wherever you park the truck to wherever your base camp is? Uh, most of the time we are, uh, you'll be able to drive a vehicle because we don't have much wilderness. We do have wilderness, but we hunt uh, stuff that's not wilderness. So, I mean, you'll be able to, most of the time you'll be able to get a vehicle to your base camp and then go from your base camp. And then that's anywhere from, I mean, you're not going to hike past 10 miles a day. I mean, past as in going out. So you might hike a total of 20 a day, but most of the time, most guys can't handle it. So you'll try to keep it in that 10 to 15 miles a day. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and that's our, and that is archery hunting. Yeah. Rifle, rifle hunters they are looking at, but maybe 10 miles a day. Yeah, because you, I mean, you, you got to get a lot closer with a bow. You do. With a boat, and you you're going to be chasing them elk. The milk step every 36 inches. Yeah. <laughs> they got a hell of a lot longer stride than they, they do. do. Jesus. I mean, what are you looking at, like, clothing-wise? Clothing-wise, uh, during archery season, I wear just a, I wear a heavier canvas pant, and then I'll layer, I'll put a light shirt on, and then just a hoodie, and then I'll have my rain gear in my pack. So does it rain fairly often, or? During, that... se- during September, you'll have a mist, and then, I mean, it gets chilly when it mists, so you want a good rain gear to keep you dry. Uh, it rains. I mean, it all depends on the year. I mean, it, New Mexico's dry. Yeah. When it does rain. I'll say, because like, I think in New Mexico, I would think, nah, and I don't need to bother bringing rain gear. Yeah. Most of the days, like, I mean, you can look at the weather and tell if it's going to rain or not, but they do have blow-ups up there when you're in the high country. I'll say, so it's not like Florida where, like, if it says it's going to rain, you literally don't know if it's going to rain or not. No, if it's gonna, if it says it's going to rain, New Mexico is going to rain. <laughs> but they do have random I mean thunderstorms up there in the high country and a lot of that September stuff you are hunting high country you know you kind of glossed over the walking a little bit when you said I don't know 10 miles a day well there's a fellow that spent an awful lot of time walking last fall <laughs> you know you, especially if you, you think well 10 I could walk 10 15 shouldn't be that much harder it's a lot harder that last five. It's hard. a lot harder. And when you go to 20 miles, I mean, I'm talking 20 miles, flat land, just walking in a day. Um, you know, yeah, sure, there's 19 and 22-year-old 20, kids out there listening to this podcast that could probably just go out and bust it. Your 35-year-old office worker ain't doing that, man. You're, you're not just going to go out and do it. You're sure as hell not going to do it with a pack, and you're not going to do it carrying high stuff. stepping over stuff and carrying stuff. Even a, even a few pounds makes a humongous difference. You don't believe me? Go walk 10 miles in your neighborhood, then go walk 10 miles with just two bottles of water in a backpack and tell me you don't feel a significant difference. So, you know, it's, I kind of want to... I'm saying that for having done some of that hunting out west, antelope, 
But it's a lot. And if you're going to go out and you're going to have fun and you're not going to die, I would recommend that you put a lot of put a lot of shoe-shoe on, especially if you're down here in Florida before you go out there and try to walk around in the sand and the shade. And how much prickly stuff you got out there? Everything's prickly. Yeah, I'll say it. Just little flat little cactuses they, everywhere like carpets. They might be like baseballs and they might look like regular old cactus, but everything out there is spooky where we are. Yeah. I was going to say, well, even Jim, when we went to Texas, you would think like, you know, tumbleweed. You're like, ah, oh, it's just a tumbleweed. No, that's a thorn bush <laughs> that's rolled up into a ball. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Be prepared, man. It's uh that's why I'd ask that question about you got the golf cart hunt. I mean, I don't really want to go on a golf cart hunt, but I was trying. Try, I'm still very much trying to figure out. I just need to go out there and figure it out. But I don't want but, to go out there and be broken. So you say ten miles out, right? But how much of, you know, how often? How often are you stopping and and just glassing or whatever in that ten miles? It depends. I mean, if you're an archery elk hunting, I'm not glassing. I'm going to carry my tens and go. If I'm rifle elk hunting, I got my spot and scope, my fifteens and my tens. Uh, it just, I mean, it all depends on the type of hunting you're wanting to do. Uh, the rifle hunting, you're not going to walk near as much just because you're going to be set up glass and looking them far off. Archery hunting, you got to be chasing the bugles. So, I mean, you're going to be walking a lot more. I say, so you're, do, you're doing a lot more constant walking during archery hunting. Archery hunting, you're, I mean, you're going with it. You're, I mean, right on their tails <laughs> trying to get ahead of them. And most of the time you don't, but every chance that you do get ahead of them, it's good. So, so the difference between archery and and rifle season, right? Because the rut is archery season. But afterwards, they're pretty much shut down. They're yeah. not. So are you trying to pick up on a migration? Nope. Uh, where we are, there is not any migration for elk. They're just okay. resident elk. So you're just, uh, you're glassing looking for them. I mean, we're thick uh, juniper trees and cedar trees. and We got some pinyon pines whatnot. But I mean, you're looking for them, trying to pick them out. You pick them out and make your stock get a vantage point and, that's where you go. Um, I would say, I mean, you're sitting there looking. That's all you're doing to do. When you when you set up a glass, you're going to sit there in glass until you find the animal you're after. Archery hunting, you're just going. You, you call in bull after bull after bull. And then that's up to the hunter if they want to take that animal or not. How close are you closing uh, for a rifle hunt? Uh, no. Rifle hunters, if a rifle hunter comes out there and shoots 300 yards, I'll be happy. The guys that come out there and shoot, I mean, it, I mean, the further you shoot, the more, I mean, it adds to your odds. Yeah, well, three hundred's not asking a bunch, but no, um, you'd be surprised though. No, I, I understand. <laughs> like I said, I, I'm assuming, I'm talking about, I don't mean to insult anybody, but serious sportsmen, and I, I really don't think somebody that's like, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a little deeper into it. Yeah. You're just not going to wander out there untested. Um, but I was wondering about like uh, you know with three hundred yards and antelopes that can kind of be close sometimes. That can you got no train. Yes. You know, and they they I mean they could. I think antelope are looking at us now. You know, they see forever. Um, but I was wondering how spooky elk are say in relationship. I mean, are they they looking at you three hundred yards like what's out there, or are they getting pretty spooky? They're gonna smell you. Yeah. Elk are gonna smell you, uh, especially you get off and like those town elk that you see everywhere. They don't care. You go up in sure. the mountains, those elk care. They're going to be watching. They're going to be smelling. Play your wind, you'll be fine. Stay at a state. That's crazy to think that elk could smell you at 300 yards. Well, that's smell you at 500. Jesus. Yeah. And um, you know it, too. You can tell the. Oh, you know that, that old cow will just pick your head up and just pull them. Wow. And everybody else follows. 
Everybody follows. Yeah, that bull, he can be hot. That's the cool part about archery elk hunting. As you could be in there, cow smell you, that bull's, I mean, just ripping it. And the cows are wanting to leave and the bull's pushing them back to the herd. And I mean, you're just, I mean, you're pushing hard as you can to get up in there close. And those that cows are trying to leave, they didn't see you. It don't matter when the bulls are hot. They'll just keep pushing them back, pushing them back. Hmm. I mean, they're, yeah, it's neat. <laughs> them things are bugling left just and right. And, and you're just ripping it back to them. I mean, it all depends on the situation. Sometimes you just go in there silent and shoot one. But I, mean, I was going to say, because I, I had a, one of the guys that I hunted with in Alabama. His name's Kyle. And uh, Kyle, got, man, I can't remember where Kyle guides. But uh, Kyle's an elk guide. And he was saying that, man, when you're calling elk in the rut, you're, you're pretty much telling them, like, hey, F you, this is my cows. And then he's yeah. like, no, F you, this is mine. He's like, you're you're essentially just trying to pick a fight with it. So it all depends. If you're going after, I mean, if you're going after the herd bull, you are going to be doing that. If you're going to go after that 330 satellite bull over there, then you're just like, hey, come over here. You're the cow call team. Get him to come over. If you're going after the big guy, you got to get mad at him. Holler. So what's the average distance on an archery shot you guys are taking out there? Uh, I'll try to get them within 50. Within 50? Yeah, sure. Okay. So it's you just your average archery shot in general, seems to me. Like 50 is a bit far yeah. on a white-tailed deer. <laughs> I, I, would, I would say I wouldn't, I wouldn't start at 50 on a white-tailed deer, though. No, I, I would say you're at a long shot on a white-tailed deer is 40 yards, 35, 40 yards. Yeah, I'm not saying it's uncommon to make a shot past 30 yards, but... I'll say, I, I've yet to shoot a... Granted, I don't do a, a ton of archery hunting, but I've yet to shoot a deer under 50 yards. Well, I mean, that mm. that eight-point I got back here, I shot him at 12, maybe 15 yards? I've shot some pigs at like 5 and 10, <laughs> but... Anyway. So is that because the you, know, you got a pie plate on a deer? I assume that the pie plate... Swells out to more like a good size frisbee on an elk. Or I want I want my hunters to shoot pie plates on elk at fifty. At fifty, I, I mean honestly, I'd rather you shoot that at seventy. Like I mean, just because I mean you're, I mean it's tough. I mean you're going to be panting when you're doing it. You're not going to be sitting there calm breath. I mean hopefully you are, but I mean most of the time you've done hustle to get to that position. Like this is the moment. Take your shot. I think maybe I didn't answer my question. You want them to have that accuracy where they can shoot within a pie plate. It was taking the shot, right? Because if you if you're gonna if you're gonna confine your shooting space to the pie plate, well, you may as well shoot fifty at a whitetail or shoot fifty at an elk. I was asking, was it that you're more comfortable with a guy shooting at fifty who has the discipline to keep it tight, but because of all those other factors, and then you also know that the the lethal zone in elk is a bigger area. Is that why you're comfortable at 50 yards? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So from a guy's perspective, what would you, if you could reach out and talk to anybody who wanted to go out West before they ever started planning, they're like, I need to get in shape and shoot my bow. What would, where, you know, uh, what would you tell them to worry about? What portion of getting in shape would you tell them to worry about doing? And then as far as, regiment shooting the bow distances to practice that stuff like that what would you what i would, would say, you say uh get in shape more than shoot your bow honestly i mean if a guy can shoot his bow decent but can hike and do everything he'll i mean he'll have opportunities and if you can shoot your bow decent at 40 yards 50 yards you'll be fine but i mean be in shape be in shape is a huge thing 
Because if you can't go, then, I mean, the opportunity when you do get there is not, I mean, it's not going to be there. So, I mean, you have to be able to get there. Yeah, because if you can shoot at 50, but then, like you said, if you're if you're way out of breath. If you're not physically versus, capable to get to the yeah. spot where you can have to shoot at 50, then, I mean, it, it's pointless. So, I mean, getting in shape is the biggest part. If you're archery or hunting. I mean, heck, you can take a dang... If you, if you want to practice shooting out of breath, all you do is run around the yard a few times, pick your bow up, and shoot at 40 yards. Exactly. And then get yourself out of breath and then take the shot. Yes. Uh, Just to reassure yourself. Yeah, I mean, we used to do that type of stuff, um, that type of shooting. We did that all the time in the Army. They called it a stress shoot. And they would run you through the grinder. And then they'd hand you get your rifle, and now you're going to go shoot your you know, 15 or 20 targets. And... It makes a difference. It does. It does. Get your heart pumping like that. But through that practice, you learn how to, I don't say overcome it, but how to control it, compensate for it. Okay. So I've had a few guys go through shooting schools before they come out there. And those guys are, I would say, they are more prepared than guys that just, hey, we're going to go elk hunting. The shooting schools do That's that. where hard life precision comes in. Yep. Yeah. Zach's got his, he's got the dang uh, extended range game harvest class. Where they tailor that to your hunt, what range? I say we need, we need to get at. y'all in contact with him because he does do that. So the, like the kid that came hunting with, or that was out there with me this year, he's good buddies with uh, Zach. Yep. Was it Peter or uh, Cole Jenkins? Oh, okay, okay, I know who he is. Yeah. Yep. So he was. It was neat. Yeah, Zach. Zach puts a good class on. Jam up class because he takes everything that you're going to take with you, and then he puts you through that class with that. Yep. So, so we talked about shape, <clears throat> gear. Yeah, gear. Yeah. So what? Um, so let's kind of break it down. Difference between a, a DIY where you're going to go out, you get your tag, you know your area. Knowing your area. Oh, so another huge. question, I guess. So before we get to gear, let's see. You get your tag in your area. How long before you start hunting would you suggest a guy get out there and pound the ground? depends on the time you have honestly i mean if, you, if you've An got ideal if, situation if you've got five days to go before your hunt go five days before your hunt okay uh if you've got three days to do it do it all right don't go out there two days before your hunt and expect to have your elk found by day the first day of your hunt so you definitely so, want three to five days yes. plus your hunting days so then go into gear what's absolutely your you're out of your skull if you don't go but let's let's assume you gotta have your rifle or your bow boots but what do you gotta have versus what's nice to have uh and then what don't you need that people bring all the time we're talking we're talking diy are we talking on a guide first first diy that we'll we'll cut the same thing for the guide for a guide okay the uh if you're on your own by yourself have a good pack that you can haul meat on can shrink up small if you have just a big bulky pack that's always big and bulky it's miserable. If you have a pack that can you can shrink up when you're just hiking, going, finding game, that's awesome. You got a favorite? Uh, the Kuyu 2800. I, I mean, spend a little money on one. I mean, they're worth it. Um, pack's a big thing. The shoes are huge. So, spending your money on your shoes. Um, that sounds like shoes is probably <clears throat> the most important thing because your feet are going to be the first thing to wear out. Yes. Well, that... The pack's pretty important too, because that's where all your weight is. You're carrying. Yeah, but all if that. you if you got a decent pair of shoes, you can still 
manage these are all, these are all that, tier one yeah. issues. You can but, still manage an intermediate pack, but if you have a shitty pair of shoes in an intermediate shack or intermediate pack, you're gonna be it, if your pack's bothering you all day. You both. You need shoes, but your pack yeah. is second with that too. Yeah, I would say shoes than pack. You've oh, obviously yeah. never carried a rucksack, so no. <laughs> I was say, you you carry a little bit of weight on your back. And see how quick it. Yeah, but I'm raw. I'm talking about carry yeah. carry your ruck pack with a crappy pair of boots, and then carry your ruck pack with a decent pair of boots. I'm telling you right now, you're gonna want a good pack. No, I agree with Brian. Well, I don't think he's disagreeing. I think you're splitting hairs. That's why I said, what do you gotta have? Those are one and two. You can put yeah. one. Pack. It, I mean, those, those shoes and that pack are the same deal because that yeah. pack is going to drive you nuts if you got an old Atlas frame. Well, yeah, I know I guys that love the old Atlas frame stuff too, but yeah, if you got a good pack, that's going to help you out a lot. It will, especially if you're. I mean, if you're by yourself packing meat, you have to have a good pack. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of meat to pack there out. There is anything else you got in that same tier with shoes and pack? Glass optics. Optics are huge. Is it, I mean, if you can't spot your game, you're not. I mean, what kind of optic? What, uh, what I say, what kind? What brand of optics are you running? As Vortex. A guy? Vortex. Vortex. Top tier Vortex stuff. I'll say yeah, I like feel like Fiber I'm, series. I'm, yeah. yeah. More and Razor. more people are carrying Vortex. Yeah. Well, you see other companies now, like Maven, is is making them starting to make waves in the group with their uh, direct to consumer stuff, and they're a little less expensive than say Leupold. I mean, I haven't seen the the quality of any of their glass. So I see you're making a kind of a smirk at me when I they, say that, but Maven's fine. <laughs> they are. I got some Maven glass. I love it, man. Which ones do you have? Uh, it's not I wanted their B series, but I sent the wrong link to my wife and she bought the C series, which saved us a bunch of money. And at first I was disappointed until I looked through them. Um Look, I looked through their scope. I wasn't impressed with their scope. Oh, I've only got their binos. Um, I can't. I mean, that's all I've looked through. Okay, I just wasn't. I mean, Vortex top tier stuff is. I mean, it's Swarovski five years ago. So I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm impressed with it. I've got their. So I've got the Vortex, the Furies, Fury mm-hmm. five thousands, and they will outrange. I've put them against Leicas, Vice, and Swarovski, and they outrange all three of those. Really? Yes. Wow. That's pretty good, and, and well, Briar, you know firsthand the difference in, in good optics and bad optics. <laughs> yeah. when you look yeah. through that old burst scope you had on that similar versus that loophole you put on there, you see when you look through at, you may not notice it up close, and that's the hard thing I think for a lot of people here in the southeast to understand. When you look through cheap binoculars up close, these, these are fine. Well, you yeah. look at it at a distance, you start to realize, why am I looking? Why do I look like i got tunnel vision? Because there's this blurry <laughs> ring around the outside, and everything is just a little bit in the middle that's kind of clear. Yeah. And that's that's cheap glass. That's cheap optics. Yeah. yeah. You know, I C-Series 10 by 42s. Yeah. Tens are what I suggest to everyone. I mean, other than if you're your guide. And then guide's going to have his own stuff that he prefers. But tens, if you're going to go out there on your own, I would have tens. Yeah. You know, look, so I don't know how many people know this. So when you talk about 10 or 12 or 15, you're talking about the magnification. A lot of times people are like, oh, I'm going to go get the 15s. They're like, well, then you better also bring a base to support them on because otherwise everything you look at, it's going to look like you're looking at it through an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so the 10 doesn't have the, it's not going to have the magnification, the but you can just, 
hold them over your knees or just pinch your, your I'm doing it here in the studio, pinch your elbows together in your chest and you get a pretty good picture of what you're looking at. And a lot of times you don't think it matters until you're trying to count points or trying to, you know, make some of those detail calls and you're like, I just can't, I can't hold it. It sounds silly. I can't hold it still enough to make the call. I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing your job, but so feel free to correct me if you think differently. No, I mean, most definitely. Uh, if you're going to, if you're going to buy anything other than tins, you have to have a tripod. Yeah. And tripods right up there with boots, pack and optics. I mean, if you're on your own. Well, that's one of those things that you can buy a cheap tripod and like do this one back here is a cheap tripod, but of course I don't have to carry it anywhere. Yeah. I bet that thing weighs four pounds, four or five pounds. Whereas you could buy a better tripod that weighs one or two pounds. I was saying, you you say four or five pounds, but when you start packing all the other stuff like water and everything, four or five pounds matters. Yeah. When I was doing a bunch of backpacking, we didn't talk pounds, we talked ounces. Yeah. Yeah. These guys that were doing the ultralight stuff, dude, they were clipping the handles off their spoon. Right? (laughs) Because they're half an ounce, right? And you think like that, but half an ounce is a couple ounces. Next thing, they're down a pound. These guys are out there jogging with backpacks. Yeah, you know, so I wasn't that crazy, but you had people spending money on titanium because titanium was light. You know, by the way, cheap aluminum is also light, but yeah. So we said the the shoes, the backpack, the glass, and then what are the things that I say the creature comforts? Uh, it, I mean, you can get into all sorts of stuff but i mean if you have your minimum and then a little bit of food a little bit of water to hike you're fine uh good bedroll i mean if you're camping i mean depends i mean it all depends what you're going to plan for if i were to go do your iy elk hunt good bedroll is a must just to have oh you're sitting on it too aren't you well i'm thinking rifle hunting you're glassing off it rifle hunting uh i carry a little butt pad so okay it's just a little uh, styrofoam butt pad that I carry and then you put that on the bottom of your pack and then I mean you're sitting on that all day it saves you keep the cactus off your butt yes saves your pants too hmm. so what about clothing <clears throat> what do you suggest for for like I'm talking like pants shirt that kind of stuff so I feel like we already went over that but I mean camo how big of a factor you know archery obviously camo is probably going to play a factor yeah Kill, you can kill elk in anything. Yeah. You can kill elk in anything. Um, I mean, you you got more experience than I do, but I'd say if you're going to spend your money on clothes, spend it on your long johns. Spend it on oh, your base, base layer. layer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, though. Cause I would say I, spend it on your outer gear. I was going to say, because I feel like when it comes to cold, especially like you said, the yeah. wind gets bad, I want something that's going to break wind. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. This is the first year that I've had a good base layer, and that made a huge difference for me in what I wore in outer layers. Yep. Yeah. You can buy, so you can buy a good set of rain gear, and a good set, like a good set of rain gear, will block wind just as good as anything else. We may have been saying the same thing. So I'm thinking base layer, and you were saying outer gear. And what we're forgetting to talk about is that in this conversation, because we're Floridians, most time we have one layer. Yeah. Well, you go out west where you can start out and it can be sub freezing and then it can be 65 degrees in the middle of the afternoon. 
right? I mean, you go from cold to hot real quick. And then you throw in the wind and the rain. So maybe I'm assuming you think this, you're thinking not just out of, you're thinking not because of the camel, you're thinking because of the shell and how durable it is against the I want the my elements. shell to be good. We'll put it that yeah. way. I, yeah. I would rather spend money on my shell. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I agree. So, that yeah, it's kind of a tough call that you got to have a great base layer and a great shell. But what's in between the shell and the base layer is, could be sweatshirts or T-shirts or jackets or God knows what else. But yeah, that, that what's ever on the very outside and whatever is on the very inside, those learning that the hard way because I used to be really cheap. Man, I just get all comfortable. You're, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I don't, I, I, it's a tough call, but. I, yeah. So, I mean, my I mean daily outfit when I'm hunting out west, uh, starting at, let's say, 25 in the morning, getting to 65 in the middle of the day. I'm going to start out no long johns on your pants. I'm going to go just straight canvas pants. Uh, by the time you start hiking in the morning, your legs are going to warm up. Yeah. I mean, if, if rifle hunting, rifle season comes around, you got to change everything. Archery hunting, start out regular pants, T-shirt, uh, hoodie, and a good outer layer. Start on that. By the time you're warm, you can, you're shedding them off. So then rifle hunting, I mean, what are we talking rifle hunting? Uh, rifle hunting, I am starting with uh, long johns, canvas pants, and then I'll do probably four upper layers. Just because my, my legs don't get cold. I'll say, because honestly, at all the walking, you're, you're, you got a lot of blood flow. And your legs, you're fine. Yeah. I mean, when you sit down in the glass, you want something warm. But, I mean, honestly, I care less. My legs I was say, you're probably, you're probably you know not. You're probably really not sitting down for that long. Not, not if you put in your homework. If you if you're yeah. sitting down for the first time, you're gonna hey we're gonna go glass this new area. We don't have a tag in our hand. We're just scouting. Yeah. Yes, you want something warm. But so, it, but it, it it's still not like, you know, you think like whitetail where you're sitting in a tree. You're not sitting there for four hours. No, no, you're gonna sit there for. I mean, if you start if you start hiking an hour before daylight, get there at daylight. Hopefully, you have something found by nine o'clock in the morning, and you're going to them. You're burning some calories but the thing too you know you talk about in the cold and when you're sitting on there the ground glassing that little butt pad that's protecting you from the <laughs> sitting on the freezing ground exactly yeah. warm. that little bit of insulating layer between that cold ground that as much as you think if i sit here long enough i'll warm it up no you won't mm-hmm. but if you put just that little bit of layer between you and the ground that'll make you 10 times warmer yeah. versus yeah. sitting on a cold rock man when it gets cold if you're talking about pads like in florida i love sleeping on an air mattress but if it's going to be cold, uh-uh, foam. Because you just, you wouldn't think it would matter, man, because you got a sleeping bag between you and that air mattress. But that, your body's trying to heat up. Even if it's a thin air mattress, if it's all air, your body's trying to heat up that air mattress all night, man. And you're, you're cold. <laughs> Zero degree sleeping bag. <laughs> right? So, yeah, man, I, that's another thing. If you're going to hunt and you're going to sleep outside when it's cold, ditch the air mattress and go foam. It's just like trying to sleep in a hammock. You'll freeze yeah. in a hammock. Oh, yeah, because you got wind all around you at that yeah. point. We did learn, what'd you say, put a, a sleeping pad in a yeah, hammock? Yeah, it's, it's all about how you sleep in a hammock. Because I've slept in a hammock and some cold stuff. But, I mean, not out west cold, but if you put a sleeping pad in a hammock to create that insulating layer, uh, layer underneath you and then get inside a bag, so it I, makes a difference. I've tried it. Well, I mean, you also, I, I take that back, you also have to have a bivy cover. And very cold stuff. Like you, you, 
the sleeping bag I'm talking about where I slept on it was, you know, 20 degrees in a hammock. Um, I'm in a three layer bag and the outer layer is literally, I could just pull it out in the rain and lay on the ground. It'll keep me dry. So it also blocks any kind of wind that comes through there. But having that, uh, extra layer of a sleeping pad underneath there, one makes a hammock 10 times more comfortable than trying to lay just flat in a hammock. But two, it also provides a little bit of insulating layer to keep your back from just being exposed to, well, it's tight mesh really you're laying on like that, that real tight stuff. So how about perks? Things like lights. Um, you know, for when you're walking back after dark, I carry a headlamp, uh, the the black diamond headlamps. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, I I love them. Uh, that's a definite must, uh, have knives, ditch the big fixed blade, get you a Havilon. The Havilons are the replaceable blade, the surgical are. steel that I'm sure I've got a few lines on my fingers from having gotten careless with. <laughs> uh, I love the Havilon, uh, and then a saw. I always carry a bone saw. Bone saw. This, I mean, good old rib roast on the Elk's hard to beat, so. So Jordan, you just got a few more companies to reach out to for the crawfish bowl. Now we need to reach out to Havilon, Kuyu. I've already reached out Black to Black Diamond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We yeah, we've already reached out to Kuyu. Yeah. We didn't forget them on the first go around. We did not. No, but I gotta reach out to I did reach out to uh not Havilon, but uh Outdoor uh, Edge. So I do our product. Yeah, yeah similar is. product. Yeah. I use their uh, folding saw. Yeah. That's how I love their folding saw. I kind of want one of their, uh, they have a full like butcher kit that I wouldn't mind having just to kind of pack around yeah. down south. I don't, I don't know, you know, I assume a butcher kit probably comes in handy out west having a queen, but. Yeah. Going back to those Havlon knives, have you yet slipped when you're. I have uh, and, s- small slips, though. Yeah, for, but you know, it's like you're like, and like, there's no it's blood. Like, you're like, uh, yeah, that's I cool. know that's cut. And then you wait, and all of a sudden, <laughs> you're leaking. <laughs> We've had multiple guys go to the hospital over have ones. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, slip off like over in their leg. Like, I mean, just, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, guys yeah. trying yeah. to change the blade out without pliers. As William's just, over here rubbing no. his stomach where he stabbed himself. Hey, I'll tell that story to y'all later. Uh, um, but. <laughs> I, uh, I dang near cut the end of my thumb off, uh, gutting that 13 point I got hanging in there. I wasn't using a Havilon knife. I was using a Tyke Woden handmade knife, and it that thing is still stupid sharp. So Tyke yeah. makes some mean knives. Yeah, and uh, I did not finish gutting that deer. I had to have my buddy hit, did it for me, but I yeah, that was bad. I thought I was going to get stitches, but I just uh, I probably should have, but I didn't. Been there a few times. <laughs> yeah. Hold it together long enough, it'll glue on. That's exactly yeah. it. I glued it back together when I got home. Same was when I stabbed myself. I I, uh, I glued that back together too. When I should probably should have got stitches. But he's like, "Hey, go to the go to the gas station and get some super glue." <laughs> but uh, yeah, in my adult life, I probably had several times I should have got stitches where I just used super glue instead. Hospital's too expensive. <laughs> That's time for I've just yeah. not used anything. Nah, I tell you, man. got stitches in wilderness medicine. Carry super glue because super glue is a big thing. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily ideal, but it'll get the job done, and they'll get it off when you get to the hospital. But when got to stop the bleeding, man, <laughs> and it's protective. You to get if it's going to be a couple of days to get back I, in. I would say one thing that we'll learn with super glue is to not super glue the whole entire cut shut. Leave a small portion of the end of it to where it can still drain. Huh. 
Because, I mean, letting your wound drain is still an important thing. Like, yeah. you don't want it to overdrain, but it needs to drain a little bit so that it doesn't it get still infected. Does that. It still does that with stitches, too. Yeah. It has the ability to do that. But, man, so before we go ahead and wrap this up, tell me tell me some stories of your most memorable hunts to date. Uh, I mean, my mother's hunt this year, that was really neat. She drew a tag. It was a late muzzleloader tag. Uh, came out there and it was fun hunt. Uh, she ended up killing on the fourth day. Uh, that was a real neat deal. And she'd never killed anything in her life. Never hunted. Uh, put in for this tag just because my dad puts in every year. And she came, put in for the tag, drew the tag. Uh, was hunting with us. Dad had already done his mule deer hunt. And she went out and they hunted on their first couple of days in their cell. I was down. I was sick and uh. They weren't having any luck, and we went out and we shot one that morning. And uh, she started or standing up on a set of shooting sticks, two hundred thirty-two yards from muzzleloader. Dang, jeez! Oh, we've got That's one of them out there. We've got. I was say, what kind of muzzleloader is she shooting? One of the Remington Seven Hundred Ultimates. Okay. Oh yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she shot it and went going off. She made a good first shot. Shot it again and. Uh, Helped him that time. It was real neat. We went back to him on horseback, so that was kind of a neat hunt. And then uh, my grandfather, he came out, uh, it's been three years ago, and then he came out on a cow elk tag. He got either bought them from a landowner, and, but it's unit wide. So he came out and we shot an elk with him. It was real neat. It was real fun. So, how many people do you have come out and do muzzleloader hunts? <clears throat> Quite a few. Yeah. So, the unit right across the street from where I live is uh primitive weapons only so it's archery and muscle loader so quite a few of those people i mean we get a, quite a few clients in that unit keys a scope on a muscle loader there? you can uh it, i mean you can and it's and that's a whole nother subject but fancy muscle loaders nowadays I mean, oh they, yeah i can reach out and touch one to 800 with muscle loader we're shooting uh so it's not primitive but i, don't, <laughs> I, I mean you call it primitive but it's not honestly right. using powder or pyrodex in that thing uh powder uh, that black horn, that stuff's wicked. Well, it's still it's still mm. Pyrodex, but it's powder, not pellets, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking in terms of Pyrodex. I was how many how many charges you get to put in that thing? But no, I'm I'm shooting loose powder. Yeah. How many grains? So I'm shooting ninety eight. Ninety eight uh, grains. Ninety eight. <laughs> That's not a whole lot. No. No. And you're getting how? Uh, twenty eight hundred. Hmm. Uh, in it, brother. Wow. Hmm. Right there, close to 29. I might need to play with that thing a little bit then. Because <laughs> I'm shooting 100 grains out of that. Loose uh, powder? Mm-hmm. What bullets yeah. are you shooting? Uh, I'd have to go inside and look at what I got in there. Look at the Barnes ones. The Barnes ones? Mm-hmm. I'd have to look into that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm getting... So you got to play with muzzleloader suck. I'll just, I hate muzzleloader. I get one-inch groups out of that at 100 yards. Really? Easy. That's impressive. Yeah. Not me, man. But I'm no. shooting... Uh, I don't want to rag on any of that. I got a Walmart muzzle loader, but you know, for me, a hundred yards of the muzzle loader is a long shot. And I, well, so you're shooting Walmart. I'm the one I'm speaking of is a Thompson Center Triumph, so it's definitely a different muzzle loader than what you're shooting. It's a Thompson. It's just not the Triumph. Yeah, I didn't want to rag it, but I don't know is that in two Pyrodex pellets. Well, I like the White Hots better. And then uh, power built, I think 180 grain power. I still feel though, like if 
you're using the same like speed loader style thing that you have versus Pyrotex. You're, it's not taking you any less time or any more time. The only so the only difference in that is that my speed loader holds three shots worth. Yeah, and then once those three shots are spent, then I'm back to measuring powder every shot. Yeah. So yeah, but how many muzzleloader hunts were you railing off more than three shots? <laughs> I, was, I, was you know, I, was, I was talking with a with, with a buddy the other night about that and the speed loader, and I said, "Man, I I know that I've got four shots because I load one in the muzzleloader, and then I've got three in the speed loader, and it, it's a speed loader that'll shoot, it'll speed load both loose powder and the and the uh, pellets. So I pre-measure all my shots to 100 grains, drop the bullet on top, and it's uh, like a cylinder, revolver cylinder. So I stick it on the, end of the muzzleloader." pull the little ramrod out, twist it over, powder goes in, bullet drops the top, start it, pull it off, and then ram it down the rest of the way with the rod. Um, so I got four shots total. And I said, well, after four shots, it's either been a really great morning or I need to go back to the range. Yep. <laughs> so maybe more importantly, <clears throat> is the you catching the tail end of the rut with muzzleloader or is it pretty much off? All the over the place. Uh, so you're catching the tail end of the rut on the early muzzleloader hunt. The tag my mother had was a late season tag. It's in November, right after Thanksgiving. So that's just late. Them bulls are pushed, pushed off in rough, nasty stuff. You're just hunting deep, nasty canyons, trying to find lone bulls. Um, going back to the muzzleloader, what grain bullet are you shooting out of that? 220. 220. Yeah. Uh, the 220 grain power belt is what it is. Okay. Yeah. So what are you guys shooting grain-wise? 275. 275. Yeah, huh. I said uh, 180. That's not right. It's got to be. I don't know. I I just know that. I don't know what I shoot. I just know that I always keep the package because I only shoot that weight. Because for some reason, if I change, it it you get to change your powder charge. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something you got to play with. I mean, you. I mean, Briar was there with me when I was shooting 100 and they, those were uh, 200 grains, something like that. I can't remember. And they um, were. Dude, I could not get them to hit the same spot twice. I would say I still feel like loose powder because, like, when you take the Pyrodex pellets, right? You throw two in, you have that exact charge. The like you said, you're shooting point. 98 grains, right? And you're shooting 100. When you're shooting loose powder, you can adjust your your grain weight just well that much. The burn rate on loose powder is a lot better than it is on pellets. Yeah, yeah. You get a you get a more complete burn out of loose powder than you do in pellets. Also, I feel like, but too though, you can get a more minute adjustment if you need it. Right, you well, can, but it comes down to compaction also. Yeah, on loose powder. So if you don't compact it at the same spot every time, that's a big difference. Yeah. Well, now, man, they got that thing. What's that? The fire stick, yeah. where it's all compact. Of course, that's not legal in every state. That's a muzzle loader, but you know, I mean, I don't know. Who knows what kind of technology we'll see? CBA's got dang these 40 caliber muzzleloaders that are shooting a thousand yards, uh, shooting loose powder. So 40 or 45, they've dropped on a 40, 40, 40. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they've got this wicked look. It looks like a rifle bullet. I mean, real, you know, pointy. it's not that rounded muzzler bullet you're used to. It's real pointy, like a rifle long, very high. It's getting length. So it's gaining. It's, it's, what it's a 17 it HMR version of a uh, muzzleloader. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, shooting yeah. a needle, huh? That's yeah. cool, man. And then you got Steve Christian going out there shooting squirrels with a flintlock. So you you, you never know what you're going to get out of muzzle letters. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I, I, Steve Christian's been on the show a couple times. Great guy, hunts with us a bunch. You know, I always love going with him because you know it's like 
we're going to Maine. We're think, we took we threw rifles in the car to hunt berries. Like, no, I think I'm going to take my trad bow. <laughs> Steve, we're only up there a couple of days. We're mainly chasing grouse. Like, I'm all about supporting you on the bear, but I'm not sitting around. <laughs> like it's and I, he, you know, he loves the challenge, and I love that about him. But he's like, why? And I was like, it's already hard enough. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> he's just wired that way, man. You know, how, whatever the task is, how can I make this harder? <laughs> but I tell you, I, I'm going to have to get one of those muzzlers that Steve had, uh, <clears throat> something similar to it, because that was wicked cool. He's shooting dang squirrels. He built with it. it. Yeah. Like I said, but it's you, not just good enough to have a front lock. you got to build it. He, you can get a, I don't want a flip lock. Uh, nope, I'll get a percussion cap, cap. Yeah, percussion cap. Yeah. Uh, but he's shooting a 32 caliber flintlock, killing squirrels with like you know, 20, 30 grains of powder. And balls. And yeah, little lead balls just laying them down. He mm. had a, a four, of them, four or five of them. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't believe it. Oh, he's putting multiple in at the same time. No, 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 no. He, oh, he no. killed four or five squirrels with it. That's impressive. It's a wicked accurate sucker, too. They do make both loading shotguns, by the way. Oh, I know. I know. I'm aware. But. Well, man, so we kind of round out every episode with the tip of the week. What do you got for us? Do it while you're young. That's my tip. <laughs> Dang it. You stole gems. He's lost now. I already gave it. I begged people. Do it while you're young. That's all right. You can have that one. What is it? Uh... Just do it now. Just do it now. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So we got to make a t-shirt that says just do it. I think, Nike, I think <laughs> Nike took that one from us, yeah. Exactly. We can check that one off. All right, so I'll go next. Uh, I'm going to say it's not nearly as prevalent here in Florida, although you can still find a good deal there on some hunting clothes or warmer clothes. But if you're living in a if, – if you visit, like, ski towns and stuff out west and you find a Goodwill, you can slip up in there and find some expensive warm clothing for – Pretty darn cheap. So hunt, hunt the hunt the Goodwills down. And I mean, I see stuff now that comes up. People uh, getting home decor at a Goodwill. Yeah, I was gonna say even. Yeah. I mean, even here, you you got people. You you might still be able to slip in if you if you stay on top of them. You might still be able to find stuff like that in a Goodwill in the South because there's a lot of people that go on ski trips and stuff. You like just gotta that. hunt them a little harder. Yeah. Or they move down here from someplace else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why I say you gotta stay on top because stuff at places like that. If it's good, it goes quick. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about uh, packs and things like that. And we talked about gear, but we, so stuff breaks, right? So along, along two lines, you know, people buy, this is all the same recommendation. People buy things like waterproof boots, baloney. Now you can make waterproof boots waterproof, but chances are whatever that little stuff they went at the factory, that's about, 15 seconds of waterproofing. So take the time to go get some good waterproofing, waterproofing boots before you go out there so your feet stay dry. But along that same line, you've got this great pack, but that pack is hanging on that frame, or if it's a frameless pack, there's still buckles and things like that. And when you have one of those things fail on you, it's absolutely miserable. And trying to tie it on with a zip tie or string sucks. So whatever, whatever is holding you're packed together, have extra pieces or whatever kind of gear that you're using. If you have a failure point, put an extra piece 
You just put a little extra gear kit in there. It doesn't weigh much. And most of the time it's just, you'll, you'll go out 20 times and it's just taking up space until the 21st time. And then it's a game saver. Or it's not even your stuff that breaks. It's the guy that you're with that breaks. Right? So have a little save and hunt Listen, kit. I hope I'm not stealing briars here. But uh, from what we've talked about, you know, with, with the knives and stuff, at least carry a, a minimal first aid kit. Try to carry as much as you can first aid kit wise, but if nothing, a, a minimal first aid kit. You need you need something if you're going to go out there and be on your own, or even with a guide, because you never know what's going to happen. You wouldn't catch me a hundred yards from the truck in a situation like that without a tourniquet. Yeah, those things weigh literally next to nothing, and it is the one piece of gear that, if you need it, will save your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need a little preparation goes a long way. <clears throat> if you start, you know, like his, oh, Caleb here, his number one thing was, you know, if you're going to go out and, you know, DIY or with the guy, be, be in shape. So start getting ready. A little preparation goes a long way. Just, you know, putting your pack together and hiking before you go. And that way you can, you can find and figure out, okay, this didn't work real well and adjust. And that way your pack's comfortable when you get there. You, Buy your boots now for that trip in, you know, September. Wear them when you go hiking because you might find you don't like those boots all that much. If you buy a brand new pair of boots to go hiking out there and you're hiking 20 miles a day, you may not like those boots. Listen, Caleb's laughing over here like he's got new boot guys coming out all the time. You got some guys coming out the there in new it's boots and they got ever. blisters on their yes. feet all day one. Moleskin's yeah. a definite most of my pack. Yeah. Come out there new boot goofing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Genuine doctors. You know, yeah. where, where do they usually get the rubs? Is it back on the heel or is it on the sides or all yeah, over? Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. People don't buy good boots is the big thing. Like, yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've uh, done a lot of walking in my day and yeah. I've had Listen, blisters even, on blisters. Even if it takes you 10 years to draw your tag, it's not going to kill you to go to the gym and walk on the fucking stair climber or the treadmill or something. Get in cardiovascular shape, right? You don't have, you're not looking at going and, and trying to bench press 400 pounds to, to go out there and, and walk and hunt. You can, you can go to the gym for an hour a day and walk on the treadmill or the stair climber. You're probably better off to hit something like a stair climber. If you're going to hit the treadmill, put it on a good incline. You don't need strength as much as you need stamina. Yeah. yeah. That's a big boy. Yeah. You know, for carrying gear, believe it or not, one of the things that help is swimming. Hmm. You don't think yeah. about it, but because the the your upper body, yeah, a lot know, of core, you're, you're using it differently than you normally do. I tell you this: when you're carrying gear, you're using it differently. I tell you this too: if you're gonna throw on your pack and you're like, "Well, I'm gonna carry uh, thirty pounds of gear plus one gallon of water." A gallon of water weighs what eight pounds? Eight point three three pounds per 8. gallon. Eight point three three pounds. You're like, I'll just throw another eight pound weight in my pack for that water <laughs> water sloshes <laughs> put a gallon of water in your pack yeah carry a literal gallon of water yeah because that makes a huge difference a gallon of water carries a whole lot different than 8.33333 whatever pounds and then by any chance you kill an elk and have to pack out a rear quarter like, right yeah. yeah put an extra hundred back there yeah you're thinking <laughs> pack- <laughs> yeah i say you're thinking packing out by yourself too so well that's it i mean if you go on a I mean, by yourself trip. Like, I mean, you've got to be prepared. Like, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it on your own and aren't 
physically capable of packing that entire elk by yourself. You have to have different ways of getting it out. You have to have an outfit that's going to come in there and pack your elk out. Be prepared for that. There's plenty of guys that come out there, week of their elk hunt. They're going into the wilderness by themselves. They're calling us, hey, uh, we need packers. Oh, we're booked that week. We're hunting. Ready. I mean, you've got to be able to, I mean, have that lined out before you go. So that's a good thing. That's never thing. That's something I never would have thought of is calling an outfit and say, yeah, I need a packer. Yes. I mean, that's a big thing out there. Is, I mean, we pack a bunch of people in. Like, if we have an off week, I mean, we do. We have guys sign out front and they say, hey, we pack out. And uh, that's a huge thing is having a packer. What, is, what does it cost to have an elk packed out? It'll run you at least 800 like I'm starting at 800. Like, but yeah. that's the thing. I got to I got to hook up my truck to my trailer, right? Drive oh, yeah. two hours into the wilderness or to the edge of the wilderness where we are, and then I've got three head of horses behind me. My horse I'm riding, so that's four animals right there. That's 100. I mean, yeah, you've got a so, pile of overhead just to pack out one elk. One more question before we wrap this out of here: What if I say you, you're talking about planning ahead, paying for a packer? What if I plan ahead and then I don't? killing elk what are you charging nothing you didn't oh, okay. kill i mean you got to i mean have an in reach that's another thing we did not cover tonight have an in reach before you go elk hunting guys that just go out there strictly rely on their cell phone hopefully we have service that's a terrible terrible idea have an in reach the way that you can get a hold of someone a satellite phone is what I'm, i mean yeah 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 have one well we appreciate you joining us this week i enjoyed it's it pretty thank good. you learned a lot appreciate coming yeah. It's 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 uh, neat to have that perspective, yes. your perspective. Yeah. Let's see. There's a lot of stuff I never even thought about. No, absolutely. Buy your crawfish bowl tickets. Yeah, <laughs> they're selling like hotcakes. Bye, 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 bye. Uh, this came out the seventh. You've got two months left, and then <laughs> it's crawfish bowl time. There Probably. will be cool stuff to win. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We're working with some good companies. Possibly so. beer. Possibly beer. Very good possibly beer. beer. Like Kava Brewery, maybe. Beer. Yeah. Some maybe. good stuff there. Beer. Crawfish. Oh, maybe we can bring that jalapeno beer for the crawfish bowl. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Prizes. But hopefully we'll see you guys there. Till next week. Adios.